Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network alongside GBB Live, the 3ND Podcast, and the Starting 5 Podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. My co-host, Nathan Chester, is not with me for today's episode, but it's okay because we have an exciting guest for you. We have Mavs Draft. He is a credentialed NBA draft analyst and the co-host of the Mavs Draft podcast. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I'm excited. Uh, I feel, you know, weird going on a fellow divisional rivals podcast, but (laughs) I'm excited. Absolutely. And I got, I got connected here uh, through uh, one, another Grizzlies Twitter guy, Chris Kern, about a uh, Twitter mock draft back in probably around like May or June. And it just feels great that finally we have, to, we have a chance to finally get over this about, because we've covered the 2020 draft extensively since March I mean, I bet for you it's different because the Mavericks actually have a first-round draft pick. <laughs> the Grizzlies don't. We actually have just the 40th pick after the Jeff Green trade, but it hasn't mattered because since we need content, uh, we've done over 50 draft profiles for literally the 40th pick, a guy that we're not even sure will end up breaking the rotation in his first season. So, but it's also, I feel like it's been a really cool opportunity because and you probably agree with this. We've gotten more time to analyze these guys and that's been very helpful, especially with the absence of the NCAA tournament. Do you share that same sentiment? Yeah. I, I mean, the NCAA tournament, it, uh, it can definitely cause some perception skews where like if he has one big game or something, you know, guy carries their team like Mo Wagner. Probably shouldn't have been a first-round pick in 2018. Got them to the Final Four, I think even the title game, actually, against Villanova. And because of that, he went 25th or something like that to L.A. Uh, so it's kind of nice not having to battle with recency bias. Um, although, I mean, there's still some of that with, like, Denny Avdia being one of the last guys to play. Um, it is one of the weirdest drafts. I am 100% ready for this class to be over. As much as I like it, it's, uh, it's gotten a little bit too much. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I'm, I guess I'm already prepping for the 2022-2023 uh, draft or something like that. I had the Lake Norman Oak Hill game <laughs> on the background. So uh, I'm with you there. I'm, I'm ready for the 2020 draft to be over. I mean, I know for for you it's different because you have the Mavericks looking at, you know, more exciting prospects like Desmond Bain, R.J. Hampton, Tyrese Maxey, Pokuzetsky. I know people just call him Poku, but I just wanted to give a shot with the last name. But also, the Mavericks have been in talks of trying to upgrade their roster and find a third star, whether that's waiting for Giannis Antetokounmpo or flipping assets for Ruby Gobert 
or recently uh, Kevin O'Connor reported today that they're interested in Zach Levine. So what do you think the Dallas Mavericks should be approaching this draft, especially since you have this craze and this desire for a third star, but with the absence of picks down the line from the Chris Sports Ingus trade, when you have the 18th and the 31st pick, you need to take those shots at cheap depth. Yep. Yeah, I don't think they keep both picks. Um, I do think one way or another, 31 or 18 is going out the window. Um, ideally, it would be just to move those two up and just go into like the near lottery, whether it's 15, 13, whatever it is, give or take any of those spots. Um, this draft does have a lot of potential for complementary players that fit Luca and Porzingis just absolutely perfectly. Like you get a Josh Green. Um, it's It's weird. It is weird, though, with the trades because – the Mavs don't have much to offer. Like they can't really trade the 18th or 31st pick until if they wanted to, without, you know, doing a draft night trade, they can't trade it outright until like a month after or something like they have to hold on to it uh, to whoever they keep or whoever they draft, excuse me. So it's, it's weird. I feel like they don't have the pieces for Levine. They don't have the pieces for Dinwiddie. They don't have like for all these guys that they keep getting linked to them. Uh, so it is, it is a little bit weird to me. I don't know how that's going to go. My hope is that they move up and take a solid complimentary, complimentary role player. Mm-hmm. And before we go too much into detail about like what kind of player you're looking for for the Dallas Mavericks or some of your favorite draft guys in this class, I do want to ask, what drew you to specializing in the draft? Yeah, so I since like 2004, I think the 2003 or 2004 draft, I can't remember anymore, was the one that drew me in. I think it was 04 because I was I'm a Magic fan as well as Mavs, uh, unfortunately, and uh, that was the Dwight Howard draft. And after LeBron and everything, I was just like, wow, it's cool to like almost predict the future with these guys. So I was 10, so I did not think of it at high level or anything. But come like 2011, I did my first mock draft. I I loved Kawhi Leonard. I had him two to Cleveland or to whoever it was at two. Uh, Minnesota and I uh, after that I was like okay maybe maybe I can like kind of try this and I casually did it for years and then 2017 I like actually started studying film and things like that uh, and started the account I was big with Donovan Mitchell he was I think I had a ninth or something right behind Lonzo Ball because uh, I was too scared to go against the norm and move Lonzo below him um, but yeah that's that's just kind of how I did it and it stuck enough I was good enough my first year to warrant uh, returning so but yeah, I just, I kind of like, I hate college basketball. Like, let me get that out there. I hate it. But I love like the predicting element of like seeing the league before it actually happens, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I understand that. And I'm really glad that you clarified that you were 10 years old during the 2004 draft, because if you were like my age right now, I'm 24, I was about to make you feel really old. I do that with my site manager all the time, Joe Molinax. There's like a eight to 10 year age difference. So yesterday we were talking about the, uh, how old I was when the Grizzlies actually had their uh, city jersey as actual uniforms and I was six years old. So, but I remember for me, I mean, I at a not very high level as well. I was about like about 10 years old at the time uh, when the Odin and Durant draft happened and the Grizzlies were 22 and 60 placing them, I think first in lottery odds. So that's when I first kind of like understood the draft and 
I would say probably about 2016 when I got into blogging and the guys in my, in that class were guys that were technically my age. I kind of got into it, had a lot of misses. I really liked the Scalabrissier and Demetrius. Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, Wade Baldwin. I liked those guys and they're they're all kind of fizzling out, but, and I, I was a huge Lonzo guy, I guess like my, uh, I'm trying to understand it more at a higher level, you know, listening to other people's opinions while also trusting the eye test, not looking more. If I'm missing games, especially like this draft class, I didn't watch any college basketball last year. So I'm relying on other Intel and advanced stats, stuff like that. And so uh, that that's really helped draw my opinion. So just looking at highlights, I would say my big draft win so far was I was a lot higher on Tyler hero than everyone else. I think I still nice. have a lottery guy. <laughs> so his, his explosion was pretty great, but I mean, it's really fun. Just you have all these different, it's one of the only times uh, in the NBA where you can really kind of use your imagination a little bit on what trades they make, what players they are going to pick, what that player ends up becoming. I, I just think that's really cool. And also, it's just a chance for you to ride with somebody for their entire career. And that that's how I really feel. And yeah. I really got to give you a shout out because you drew me into this draft class. I was kind of like, eh, <laughs> Grizzlies don't have a first round pick. It doesn't really matter. Then COVID hit and I'm like, well, we need content. Let's look at the draft. And one of the guys that you drew me in on was Elijah Hughes from Syracuse. I've written a draft prospect profile on him and on tomorrow's big board, uh, as we're recording this on Thursday night, uh, people will see why I'm the only one on the staff that has him as a first round grade, but you have him even higher than me. Like what is it about Elijah Hughes, (laughs) a potential guy that can be had for the Memphis Grizzlies that enamors you? Yeah. So I have him uh, 12th on my board. I'm, just for me, it's he has no holds in his game. Uh, for Syracuse, obviously, when you're when you play at Syracuse, you get lost in that zone. It just kills your defensive hype because every that zone is just awful on the eyes. Like there's no hiding it. Um, but he was so good defensively that he broke the zone for the right play. You know, and like things like that just don't happen. He's super, he's really athletic, uh, incredible instincts. He's really good at forcing turnovers. He can block shots as a help side defender. Like like I said, he breaks the zone for the right play. And then offensively, like he's a, he's a good creator. They let him run the offense a good amount of times. Um, I, the jump shot is legit. He can shoot from the logo. And that's why partially why his percentages are bad uh, because he yeah. took so many jumpers from the logo. But like, I mean, he still hit it a decent amount where you can buy it. Uh, so overall, I mean, you just, I don't know what he does wrong. Like, I, I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. And where, how do you see his potential fit? I guess as a two-parter as a Dallas Maverick and a Memphis Grizzly, if he goes either at likely 31 or 40. Yeah. So I, I love his fit in Dallas just because Dallas needs wings and creators and defenders. And he is all three of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really do like that. And obviously it takes pressure just simply off of Luca uh, for Memphis. I, I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm not too familiar with the offensive style, but again, if you can get another uh, kind of Suedo creator uh, on the wing that again, it, when you have a ball dominant guy, like you guys have John Moran and Jaron Jackson's still a good creator too. It's just so versatile. 
that he can be that threat off ball that you can't leave alone. And also he can handle the ball. That's a pretty unique combination for most wings. A lot of them are just one or the other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And one thing I did break down in my profile a little bit is the Grizzlies have their wing depth is very interesting. Obviously the main two guys are Dylan Brooks and Justice Winslow. Uh, With Winslow, it's kind of up in the air because we don't know his health situation really. And behind him, behind those two, you have Kyle Anderson, who's a, He's literally great at everything else. He just can't shoot. I kind of consider him like a, a middle-class Ben Simmons. You know, he's pretty pretty good <laughs> across the board at everything except for shooting, even though he uh, has been working on his jumper. He showed that in the bubble as well. And then you have Grayson Allen, who I love Grayson Allen. He's a great shooter, but he's small. He's small for a wing. And DeAnthony Melton, another guy who – Across the board, analytically, he's unbelievable. Young uh, combo guard that can facilitate as a secondary playmaker, defend one through three, but he's small and he's a non-spacer. So I would like the Grizzlies to find a wing with size and preferably one that can shoot and is athletic and can run the floor. The Grizzlies were eight, like sixth in pace. So having a guy like Elijah Hughes that can run the floor, finish a above the rim, while also being able to hit pull-up threes, that's enticing to me. And if he was a year or two, or if he was like two years younger, he would probably be oh, yeah. in a discussion for that middle first round in that 15 to 20 range. Yeah, and, and I think he can still get so much better too because mm-hmm. he took a huge jump from junior, or I guess technically sophomore, because he transferred um, sophomore to junior, whatever, third-year player this last year. He took just such a jump uh, that I, I don't think he's even close to hitting his ceiling either. And, and another interesting sex, you said you want someone who's athletic and shoot and kind of handle. Um, he's one of – if you expand this to 1%, he's, he missed the cut by 1% of players who shot 70% at the rim and 35% from three. Mm-hmm. Like it's Grant Riller, Halliburton, Isaiah Mike, Mason Jones, and then – one percent. If he had one percent better from three, he would have hit it. He had seventy-three percent at the rim, uh, and thirty-four percent from three. Like that's that's such a unique combination. And I'm pretty sure if you look at it year over year, those guys always hit if you can mm-hmm. do both of those. And and he's good with both hands too. Like, I mean, yeah, he's he's a perfect fit for almost any team. I feel like. Right, and just to kind of segue back to a conversation we were having <laughs> earlier. Uh, we talked about Elijah Hughes' fit in Dallas. With some of your favorite draft guys in that range for Dallas, what are your favorite things about them in terms of their potential fit alongside Luca and Chris Stops? Yeah, so they have to be one of either a great defender or great shooter. So that kind of narrows it down to about four people, and, on, and preferably a wing. Uh, most of the guards that you could take probably aren't going to check both of those boxes. Um, so I would say Josh Green. He has the potential to be three and D uh, just off spot ups. He can't really shoot off the dribble, but the defense is like electric. I mean, he's a hundred percent going to translate on that end. He has every tool that you need to be a good defender in the NBA. Uh, Desmond Bain, one of my personal favorites, uh, just fits the culture and everything. Obviously outstanding shooter, arguably the best in the class. And I do think he'll hold his own on defense, even though he's got a negative two wingspan. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. built, I mean, he's probably the strongest player in the draft pound for pound. So 
that makes up for the lack of wingspan. And then Aaron Neesmith, just because, again, the shooting, even if he can't do much else, he's a huge positive next to Luka offensively. And then Sadiq Bey, because he's probably the biggest mold of all of those guys combined. He can shoot some or shoot really well and he can defend. Just not really elite at both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really upset that – I mean, I'm happy for the kid, obviously, but seeing Bain's uh, stock rise a little bit, <laughs> kind of painful because he was in that 40 range for a little bit. And I even said in our uh, site Slack the other day that my hot take was that Desmond Bain would take Dylan Brooks's starting spot by the yeah. quote-unquote all-star break. But, yeah, I – I'm really enamored with the fits for Dallas just because they're trying to chase for a star, another star in free agency, even though they've been doing that since 2012. <laughs> and no offense, they've, they've struck uh, an out none taken. Time. None taken. <laughs> yeah, and so it's hard to really trust that. But even if they luck out and they get like a Rudy Gobert or Giannis, they need cheap depth. And a guy, guys like Desmond Bain, Sadiq Bey, Josh Green. I really like Josh Green. I kind of remember strikes me like short term as a younger Matisse Stiebel, but as more of a yeah. threat, uh, that would be a big boost for Dallas, especially since they, their system, they need bigger guards I and mean, they have relied on a bunch of small guards for the better part of the decade. And yeah. <laughs> um, they need guys that can guard Kawhi and LeBron and yeah. Luca can't. No, Luca's amazing. I'm huge Luca guy, but he can't do that at the moment. I would be really intrigued if they went after like a high high ceiling player, like a like a Poku or RJ Hampton or Tyrese Maxey. Do any of those guys strike you as good potential fits for the Dallas Mavericks? So I feel obligated to say as like a team who's two best players in really over the last two years or what two, three best players have been Europeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel obligated to say Poku would be pretty nice here. Um, but, but I personally, I don't think I'm a huge fan of the two year wait that would probably have to come with it. And like, I mean, it's a lot of growth and the maps have never been great at player development for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so that does worry me. I don't like on paper, it works. Uh, in reality, I'm not too sold. With RJ Hampton, I don't trust the jump shot. I know he's from here, incredible slasher, probably some of the best physical tools. He's unbelievably quick. Um, again, I don't know if Dallas is the right team for him. I think he's one of the most team-dependent guys in the draft. Uh, and then you said Maxi as the third? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, uh, another Dallas guy. I would be pretty comfortable with him. He's got a role right away, which even if he can't shoot, he's going to be a good combo guard offensively that can run the offense a little bit. Plus, the defense is just much better. I don't know who which elite players he guards. He probably guards some twos. Uh, can't guard the Kawhis, like you said. But, like, Dorian Finney-Smith can guard Kawhi Leonard. He just has no one else really for security. Mm-hmm. Having another security blanket like Maxi would help a lot. Right. I know you brought up Hampton. That, Hampton's arguably one of my biggest hot takes on my big board. I have him sixth. Wow. He, he's been working out in Memphis with uh, Mike Miller, like the, the Mike Miller, uh, on the jumper on create or pulling up in the pick and roll hit, hit and pull up jumpers from the mid range from three. And I was listening to a Rosillo podcast last week with Mike Miller and RJ Hampton. Granted, I had already had this belief of Mike just kind of said it out loud. Like you said, he's unbelievable slasher at getting to the rim and everything. When you have a guy like that, that's hard to keep out of the paint and he starts shooting 
38, 40% from three, how are you going to be able to stop them? And if we're being real, if guys like LaMelo and RJ stayed in school, stayed in school instead of going overseas, they would, LaMelo would probably be a unanimous one. And RJ would probably be in the top 10 instead of in the middle of the first round, which I I think for RJ would be a blessing in disguise because he has a shot at going to a more functional team as opposed to going to a situation like Sacramento or uh, Detroit, a place like that. Um, But to transition out of draft talk real quick, Last week, we did a podcast on the division outlook. And with all the news that broke in the past week, especially with the Houston Rockets, we kind of got cold taped a little bit. <laughs> and I do want to bring in the, like, the Dallas Mavericks in this. And what, are, what is your view on the Southwest division going forward? Um, who do you see as kind of like the present slash long-term foes for – Lucas Dallas Mavericks. So I think it has to be the three teams, which I'm still salty about this a year and a half later, the three teams that were tied for equal odds last year in the lottery. Uh, I think it's going to be Memphis, New Orleans and uh, in Dallas. Like it, those are have to be head and shoulders for what we know now. Like those are going to be the three teams running the division. Like I think ultimately alternate, they'll alternate, excuse me, uh, each year, like Memphis will win the division one year, New Orleans will win the next Dallas. And it's going to be neck and neck. Uh, I do think San Antonio will somehow be good because even without Popovich in the next five years, something will come up. They'll, like, they'll, get, they'll get Kay Cunningham next year. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, oh my God, the division, if that happens, I, I will be so mad. Like, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think Dallas has a good chance, especially this year. Um, it depends on – Porzingis, I don't think he's going to be healthy to start the year. I do think it's anybody's division, though. Uh, like, obviously, with Houston, it seems like that's kind of um, – I don't want to say done, but they're definitely on the decline, mm-hmm. and their window is probably closed. So I, I don't know what to make of them, but I do think it's a three-team race, and it's, again, the youngest teams. Yeah, I tweeted out earlier today that the, <laughs> that the Rockets really have no choice to trade – Russ or Harden, it probably has to be a, be both because even if you trade Russ, you're not getting adequate help to contend in the West unless Harden goes nuclear. And your team is also Harden and a bunch of dudes that don't want to play with Harden. So, but I, I'm honestly just really excited about the future of the Southwest division, especially with John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Luka Doncic, Zion, Brandon Ingram. Stops. I mean, I can go all day. There's a lot of great talent in that division. And in particular with the uh, the Mavericks and Grizzlies and the future outlook in terms of its potential for a rivalry, what's the thing that most excites you about the uh, matchup between those two teams? You said between Dallas and Memphis? Yeah. Yeah, I mean – the jaw, the jaw, and Luca matchup seems like it's just going to be an inevitable. And obviously, it's not one to one because they don't play the same position technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's very similar to how we had Dirk versus Duncan kind of thing. I mean, those two guys are, I think, Jaw's generational. Uh, a lot of people on Twitter don't like that when I say it, but you have two generational players that come along. I mean, it's it's hard to you know 
like it's cliche and it's low hanging to talk about that. But I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like Memphis kind of mirrors Dallas to an extent. They don't get enough credit. Like Jaron mm-hmm. Jackson Jr. is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Be some of the tightest matchups, I think. And I do think Memphis has the, and I'm not just saying this I'm on a Memphis podcast, but mm-hmm. I do think Memphis has a higher ceiling than New Orleans. So the realistic higher ceiling. Uh, so I do think that's going to be the the matchup for the decade, honestly. Like, I mean, I don't really see any reason why Luca don't go at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I honestly think the most exciting thing for this matchup is the battles, fingers crossed, help with health with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Chris House Porzingis. Because when it comes to the league's unicorns, I think those two are at the top of the list in terms of what they can do off the dribble and shooting threes and blocking shots. I, I feel obligated to put Carl Anthony Towns in there because he's a generational three-point shooter for a seven-footer. He just hasn't caught up on the defensive end compared to uh, Jaron and Chris Stoss. But then again, uh, those two guys haven't caught up to Carl Anthony Towns in terms of like rebounding and probably more offensively. But – I just think that those two guys kind of embody the future of the NBA. Uh, we're kind of already seeing that, uh, where it's going to go with many younger guys like Chet Hologram from Minnesota. Yeah. Um, Victor, I, I can't really pronounce his last name, but the 16 yeah. year old <laughs> that was splashing pull up jumpers in Rudy Gobert's face. <laughs> it's the future of the league. And I would kind of, I mean, I don't really want to call them pioneers because obviously there's been guys like Dirk and Larry Bird um, to a lesser extent, guys like a Rashid Wallace, who these big men that can just hit threes like wings. But I think what really separates guys like Jaron and guys like Chris stops, at least, especially for Jaron is his handle. Like he in the bubble was taking Zion Williamson off the dribble with the granted it's, not hard. I know everybody wants to talk about Zion being great, but he has that massive hole in his game as an off dribble or as a defender in space. And Chris stops just his ability to protect the rim, but also hit 35 logo footers um, at seven three is just unbelievable. And actually, one stat I monitored a lot this past season was the number of games with multiple blocks and multiple threes. And I think Jaron and Chris Tops were tied for the most. I think they were over like 20, (laughs) which was like in the top 10 among uh, all time, like in a single season. I think Brooke Lopez or Kevin Durant have the record for that. But it goes to show you just how talented they are, especially at their age. And it's just something I'm very excited to see going forward, hopefully in future Western Conference finals battles and stuff like that. Yeah, hopefully, dude. I mean, again, not saying this just because I'm on a Memphis podcast, but mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm excited for Memphis. They have so many guys that are fun to watch. Even like I'm a huge Jonas Valanciunas fan. Like, as Thank you. Sure Thank as you. Everybody wants to trade most, him away. No, he's the most underrated player. Like, I think just by – maybe by the average fan, easily the most underrated player. Like his efficiency per minute is through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I like, I've liked him since the 
2011 draft. So I'm also a little bit biased, but <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely. And so we're about running out of time here um, to close the show, especially since the draft will be about five, six days away when this goes live. Give me your hottest draft night take. Like of what I think will happen. Yeah. Oh man. All right. I got two. All I right. think, I think Pokachevsky goes top 10. I okay. think some team falls in love. And then I got an opposite end take. I think one of Maxi or Halliburton falls to the twenties. Interesting. Okay. I like that. It hurts. It hurts to do these mocks, man. Like I'm, cause I'm trying to like live up to my prediction, but man, mm. like it does not make sense, which means it could happen. <laughs> Absolutely. I think my, my hot take would be that a team in the top 10 trades their pick for Russell Westbrook. Wow. Do you have a prediction on which team? It seems very uh, New York-like, but I'm also not going to – I know people brought up Chicago, but the thing with Chicago is they have a new front office that's a little more forward-thinking. I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I thought I, maybe you would say Cleveland. Oh, that could be <laughs> – like Kevin Love. That could be interesting. Okay, I like that. But yeah, I I think some team would, especially in the East, there's only seven guaranteed playoff spots, and the last one is up for grabs. And the margin between all those uh, kind of crappy teams is very thin, and one of those teams are going to try to do whatever they can to snag that eight seed and get – Beaten five games. We're already seeing that with Atlanta trying to trade for Drew Holiday and the Charlotte Hornets trying to get into the Russell Westbrook sweepstakes. But I just think that's what's going to happen. Some team in the East is going to want to trade their pick for Russell Westbrook, and it's going to be crippling. I can see that. I can see that too. That's that hurts to see. <laughs> yeah. And so that's all the time we have here. Do you want to go ahead and plug your stuff into Grizz Twitter? You can get yourself in Grizz Twitter a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I want to get in. I, I know like three people on Grizzlies Twitter, so this is very welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm at Mavs Draft on Twitter and uh, all my scouting reports, mock drafts, uh, doing team big boards coming soon. Uh, that'll all be on MavsDraft.com. Awesome. Thank you very much. You can find him at Mavs Draft. Be sure you follow him for the best uh, draft coverage, both for uh, the Dallas Mavericks and the NBA. You can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you're following the podcast on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And make sure you're following Grizzly Bear Blues on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies and reading its content at grizzlybearblues.com wonderful content over the past several months regarding the current situation for the Memphis Grizzlies as well as the NBA draft and its potential prospects so make sure you tune in to grizzlybearblues.com and with that that's it